Hi there. Welcome to Season 3 of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship coach, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. To learn more about my coaching services, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. And make sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash but seriously the cancer podcast. Today's guest is Shayla Martin. Shayla is a New York City girl. She's a runner and loves to work out. She cherishes her time with her friends and she loves to travel. Shayla speaks with a groundedness that got all of my attention the first time I heard her speak. She calmly explains how through the world of cancer she discovered something called feelings, a word she wasn't particularly familiar with. Me being someone deeply impacted by his feelings on a daily basis, really enjoyed listening and understanding Shayla's experience. Shayla has been cancer-free for two and a half years. Shayla, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, will you begin by letting everybody know what kind of cancer you were diagnosed with and how old you were? I was diagnosed with invasive IDC. You know, I didn't even commit it to memory. Invasive inductive carcinoma. I was 39. I had just turned 39, a couple months into 39. 39 years old. What's that, breast cancer? Yes, breast cancer. Left side was the final diagnosis. Gotcha. And how did you find out you had breast cancer? Phew, crazy story. So I was diagnosed actually December 11, 2017. In September, at the end of September 2017, there was this beautiful warm day, oddly warm, 90 degrees or so. A couple of friends and I knew it was going to be the last time to go to the beach. I'm a complete beach bum. Mm. So we went to the beach, group of people. At the beach, I got bit by a couple of beach mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. During that week, went home, was sitting on the couch and was scratching one of the mosquito bites that was on my upper chest. And I felt a bump underneath it. Right. And I was like, I feel something, but that clearly is related to the mosquito bite. And you don't really touch the upper part of your breast much doing anything. I don't think you really touch that part of your body much. And I went a couple of weeks and then one day I was like, huh, I wonder if that's still there. Impressed. And it was. I would love to say that I immediately ran to the hospital, but I was like, nope, it'll go away. That's uh, clearly nothing. Long story short, like I tell people, it did not go away. (laughs) It was there and it took, I went to the doctor probably November to my uh, GYN, said, this is what I feel. She said, yep, that's there. We need to refer you to a mammogram. And I was like, we know what it could be, but what else could it be? And she listed things off. Women have dense breasts, like lumps can develop and they're nothing. Like, and she said those things. And I kind of went with that. I never, I did not worry. I had zero, zero worry until the day of the mammogram, which was a month a month later. When the day arrived, you started getting nervous? Yes. When the day arrived, I remember I had a, a work meeting out in Jersey. And my manager knew I had this appointment. It was at 4 p.m. at Will Cornell, which is the system I started out in, but not that I stayed in. And I like, got back in the city, heading to this appointment, and I was on the subway and someone bumped into me. And I just got like aggressive. I was like, whoa, what are you, like, watch out. And that's mm-hmm. not my personality. And I was like, what is going on? And I was like, you're nervous. And then I walked into Will Cornell Women's Breast Center, which I must have not seen on the 
on the forum they sent, like that it was like Women's Breast Cancer Center. Because when I walked in, I remember feeling absolutely shocked and being like, oh shit, this is the Breast Cancer Center. Everyone's in pink robes. And at that moment, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Mm. And so, like, I knew, I knew getting off the train when someone bumped into me that I'm feeling on edge. It's because I'm going to this appointment. And I knew when I walked in there and saw everything in pink and I was at the breast cancer center or the women's center or whatever, that I wasn't just going to the x-ray center to get a mammogram. I was stepping into a place for breast cancer. And that was nerve wracking. Yeah, what was, do you remember what was going through your mind, what you were feeling, what you were feeling in your body? Oh, I was nervous. Uh, maybe a little in disbelief, absolute disbelief. But because I knew I felt a lump and I knew I wasn't associating with breast cancer, but I knew in the back of my head that when I asked the doctor what else could it be, I knew what it could be. So that, that little piece that I had buried down from the moment I felt the lump when I convinced myself that it was just part of the mosquito bite, and then I convinced myself that it was from working out, and then I convinced myself that it, it just go away, and none of those things worked. That little small piece was, was there. I just had buried it, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, two things come to mind when you say that. One is... I was passing blood. I was diagnosed with stage two rectal cancer the first time and I was passing blood and after, you know, it wasn't much. So I was just like, ah, well, it's probably nothing. And then after like a couple of few months, my wife was like, maybe she should go get checked out. I'm like, yeah, you think, well, okay, I guess, you know, it was just like you. It's like, we don't think to ourselves, oh, this might be a deadly disease in my body. Mm -hmm. Well, we for me, are... I think I talked myself out of it. All right. I just was like, no, <laughs> I mean, I work out all the time. You know, you, you get, doesn't everyone get a lump in their chest from bench pressing? <laughs> no. Why? I mean, maybe I did a new exercise. I don't know. I've been mm -hmm. working out my whole life. Sometimes I get ailments. I was like, a, a lump in your chest is, is just another ailment. You know just I mean? another ailment, yeah. Yeah, it's just another ailment. You know, I'm, you know, I get sore and I get a lump in my chest. I don't know. I just convinced myself of that. I remember being at the, the doctor, and it's funny, when I was, I told you I listened to one of your other podcasts, and a woman that was had went through breast cancer, she said the exact same thing that, like, I went through as well, which was that first they did the mammogram, and then they did the sonogram. After they did the sonogram, she said, let me go get the doctor. And I said, oh, shit. Mm. She's going to get the doctor. And then the doctor came in. The doctor looks very serious, looking at the screen. Looking, you know, doing another sonogram and she's breathing heavy, like, you know, taking deep breaths, <sighs> like looking, she's focused and there's not one laugh or smile in the room. It is focused. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God. And then the doctor, she looked at me and she said, can you get dressed? I need to see you in my office. And in my head, I was like, oh my God. God. Mm. Oh my God. And it's even now, it's been three, three years and a, and a month and I can still feel those feelings of that moment just saying them out loud. I can immediately go back there. Like I have healed a lot from cancer, but it's very easy for me to remember those exact feelings. 
sometimes it doesn't feel like it's been three years since I was diagnosed. Sometimes it feels like it was a month ago, two months ago. Other times it feels like it was ages ago. But I can feel that moment. And it was, I'm a, I'm a joking person. And she brings me in. She says, let me show you what I'm looking at. And at this point, they're looking at both of my breasts. And they're like, you have this in one breast. These are calcifications. And here's the breast with the lump. And there's these calcifications. Calcifications could mean cancer. And I'm just looking at this woman. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And I just looked at her, and it's, it's December, it's December 6, 2017, and I looked at her and I said, but this isn't what I asked Santa for, for Christmas. And she, <laughs> she didn't laugh. Oh. She looked and she said, oh, I'm sorry. And in my head, I was like, oh, shit. She didn't laugh. She was supposed to laugh. She was supposed to lighten the mood. Gonna make this. Well, she's supposed to laugh mm. and let me know that this isn't that serious. This is protocol. She didn't laugh. It wasn't protocol. It was serious. She knew. Yeah, I can still feel it in my body, Sheila. This since I was diagnosed in 2007, the first time, March in 2007, and I still can feel my body started tingling. I got a knot in my stomach. I was nauseous. I couldn't think straight. And I'd had a colonoscopy. After passing all his blood, I asked to see a specialist. The specialist mm -hmm. gave me a digital exam and immediately said, you have cancer in your family. And then when yeah. he scoped me, he said, there's so much blood in here, I can't see anything. Oh, wow. I was passing so much blood. And my doc told me over like six months, he's like, you have hemorrhoids. Tell me four times. Finally asked to see a specialist. So that's specialist response. So then I get the colonoscopy like four or five days later. I'm sitting there with my wife and our four-month-old boy. And the doc tells me, you have a uh, cancer. Wow. And he draws, he has a little notepad and there's just a basic diagram of, you know, the, uh, from the mouth, you know, the whole digestive tract, you know, you're like where, and he takes on this, on this pad and notepaper, just puts like a little X right on where, it, where the rectal tumor was. And I'll say to him, I go, can I have that piece of paper? Can I keep that? And he looked at me like, what? Like this little scrap paper. But to me, that was the only piece of information that I had that made any sense about what was going on with my body. Okay. Within a half an hour, I was seeing a uh, general surgeon and he was scoping me, giving me an ultrasound. And that piece of paper is, I have no idea where it is now, but you know, there was just this like being overtaken, overwhelmed, feeling powerless. Like, what are you telling me? Yes. Oh, I absolutely felt powerless. Hmm. I think it takes a lot to get that power back. Um, and I don't think it's possible. I mean, perhaps it is. But for me, at least, and I would say for people I know who've gone through breast cancer, I don't think it's possible to even get the power back until you're past it. You're not getting it back during it. You're not getting it back during chemo. You're not getting it back as your hair first starts growing back. It like takes some focus and probably therapy, not probably, to get that power back. I think, and I think that's one of the hardest things. I have a woman who just texted me the other day that was connected to me via another friend who was, was just diagnosed. And seemingly I've become the person that people can go to mm -hmm. for these things, for breast cancer. It's always breast cancer and nothing else. And she's just asking all these questions and like, well, what, what do I do now? And then what do I, like, what happens after? And all these things. And I'm like, 
Girl, I think the only thing I can tell you is like right now you have to, you're in it. You're in it. I don't think you should focus on what comes after. I know that you feel powerless. Like it's very easy for me to be empathetic with people going through this because I know where they are and I know how it's hard to function in your daily life when when your power has been taken. And and like one day you had it and like the next day you don't. Mm. What do you do what do you do with that? Right. Yeah. I'm real curious about what you're saying because you're saying you, you didn't get your power back until after you were through it. Yes. So that immediately has me want to know, did you feel empowered as once you got clear on what your diagnosis was, what your treatment was going to be, did you feel empowered inside of, you know, your, your, uh, Body. How, how do I want to say this? No, no. I'm thinking more like, uh, I meant like being centered, you know, like. Absolutely not. Okay. You did not. No. You power through. Who has time to be empowered when you have doctor appointment after doctor appointment after doctor appointment and surgery, recovery, surgery, doctor appointment, needles. Who has time to be power? And I was working also, but like, where do you, how do you get your power back when you're not even through it? I mean, you, I power it through, and I definitely have been told that I was strong throughout, and I was an inspiration throughout, and wow, you just handled it so well, and you still lived your life. I did do all of those things. I still hung out with my friends once I felt better from everything. Every time after the mastectomy, once I could, I was hanging out with my friends, or people were coming over. You know, I needed to be around love in order to push through, and after every chemo session, like four or five days, I couldn't barely leave my house. But those days that I could between chemo, I did. Another friend and I, or two friends, and I will never forget this, two friends, the night before every single chemo session, we went and worked out together. We either oh, did nice. Soul Cycle or Rumble Boxing. And we did that together. And these are two very busy people and not once that they cancel. Not once with someone like, oh, I can't make it this Tuesday night. Like they were there. And, and those are the things that for me, I think, helped me power through. But I can't say that I felt I had my power. I had a, a routine and I had things that I wanted to do. And so I couldn't sit at home and wallow. But I, I cannot say that I had my power or that I was centered or grounded, or any of those words that I actually did not use during this time of my life. <laughs> these are new right? words. Yes, these are new words that I've been using since I started therapy last year. And I'm all into the therapy world and all of that. These are new words. This is not the words Shayla was using in 2018. I've grown. <laughs> I grew so much as a result of my diagnosis and began to use new language that, that described me as I found my way through when I was first diagnosed there was no power I was a disaster and then what shifted is I realized like oh wait this might kill me first it was like this is gonna kill me right I'm like oh I'm gonna die right and then I'm like okay no I'm not but I might and something in there shifted where I thought to myself well if I'm gonna die I'm gonna live my ass off you know, I spent most of my life, you know, with masculinity issues, you know, always, you know, doing things and living in a way that would, or may I say more like hiding aspects of myself that I feared had me appear less masculine. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I began to realize, like, I don't give a damn what masculine even is. I'm going to be me. 
And if that works out for you, great. <laughs> so you find your divine masculinity. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it wasn't that I was empowered or not feeling empowered. It was, it was the trajectory I was on. Like when a sailboat's going into the wind and it's tacking back and forth, you know, they can't, you can't go directly in. You have to use the wind to have you zigzag. You know, it's like I kept returning to center and then going back away and then return to center and go back away. You know, it's just, but there were definitely times I did not feel empowered. I feel like it was just like a wave, you know, yeah, coming and going. You mentioned feeling like you were going to die, and that's kind of like what changed your life. For me, I don't, I did not feel like I was going to die then. Mm. I feel like I could die now. I feel like I live my life knowing that cancer can come back. Um, in October of last year, like, uh, so October 9th is my, is my anniversary of being cancer free when I finish all my treatment. And on October 1st last year, I was at Sloan Kettering getting a biopsy under my arm because they felt a swollen lymph node and that could indicate breast cancer has returned or lymphoma. And so eight days before my two-year cancer-free date, I'm sitting thinking like, oh my, sorry, fucking God, Mm -hmm. what if it's back? What if it's back? And so I've always had this pea-sized thought. It's so small. But it is there, and that piece I thought of is what makes me live my life differently, I think. But I didn't have that during cancer. I, like, I, didn't have, I didn't have power. I wasn't centered, but I also wasn't thinking I was going to die. And everything finished, and then you feel more vulnerable. Then I realized, well, what if it comes back? If it comes back, what, what would I do? And that little thought became like my reality in October of last year when I'm getting biopsied and I was scared. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening because I've, ever since cancer finished, I feel like I held up my part of the bargain with the universe, which is like to heal, to grow as a person, to appreciate life more, to be more present. Like I'm doing all these things. That means I'm not supposed to get cancer again. The results came back benign. I do not have cancer again. But for those moments, I realized, I realized that that pea-sized thought that I have is, is more than a thought, it's a reality. Yeah. And so my, my thinking that I could die is more now than it was then. 100%. Yeah, it's, it, you're now clear, like, this, your, your mindset is completely different. From what it was prior to this diagnosis you prior yes. to this diagnosis it sounds like you lived like i'm just a person living my life and doing my I thing. living my best life mm-hmm. and then you're like oh this could come back and kill me yes like, that's interesting after my my first diagnosis like in my mind i was like i'm gonna get through this it's going to go away i am going to be fine and i had my moments where i was on my knees crying and begging that i don't die so i'm not going to pretend like i was just some positive attitude but i really did a lot of the time believe i'm going to get through this i'm gonna be fine when it came back the second time that illusion was shattered and i was like okay i have no idea and i'm nine years out now and on december 
It was mid-December. Had my colonoscopy December 3rd. That came back negative. Very happy. Yes. They found, they found a, yeah, yeah. They found a polyp and removed it. It was not cancerous or precancerous. Perfect. So, yeah. So then after that, I had my CT scan. It's the first scan where I haven't had scanxiety, where I didn't just like, I wasn't all shook up. Now, I go down to Memorial as well. And okay. I see my doc. And so it's a four-hour bus ride down there or four-hour oh, wow. drive. Right. So there's plenty of time to work up the uh, concern and the worry. And, you know, it's, you're taking yeah. a whole day. It's become a big event versus yes. just this one. I think I was so distracted by everything from the virus to our country and everything that's happening that I was just like, I didn't really think about the fact that I was getting my CT scan until after the fact. Was, and then we had it. And I went, whoa. Wow. Why wasn't I nervous about that's that? That's almost a sense of freedom. <laughs> yeah. Like... But I, I'm not getting to, uh, how would I say, uh, I'm not going to fool myself, though, you know, because yes. I am clear that this cancer could come back. And when I get some weird feeling in my leg, I'm like, uh-oh, here it comes. Yes. And it's like, yeah, well, it's because you were standing funny for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's October showed me that for all the healing I've done since my journey, I still carry cancer trauma in my body. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something I will be able to, I don't know, how do you get past it? How do you let go of it? I don't know, because it's my, it's my reality. And when you have to hold your mortality in your hand based off something you really can't control. Yes, I can change my diet. Yes, I can, I don't know, look at the list of what causes cancer, which is 1,000 things, and say, okay, I will not do any of those 1,000 things. Some of those things that, you know, like, don't breathe air. So, <laughs> like, you can, it, it's, it's so much of it is not in my control, and not having that control, it lives in you, and it lives in me, more than I probably admit to, minus this moment, it lives in me. And I've done a lot of work to try to heal from the trauma of cancer and process, but I don't know if there's a completion point that is like zero. May I ask you how it lives in you? What do you mean? Well, you say like it, it lives in you, like you said, you know, you hold your mortality in your hand and that you've done a lot of work. And you, I was just curious if there was more to how it lives in you, how it occurs, how it shows up? Well, I can say, so for me, my mastectomy was, oh, my anniversary is at the end of this month. My mastectomy was January 31st, 2018. That is the day that started for me, my entire journey. Although the previous seven weeks before that were full of doctor's appointments and all of that. But January 31st is cancer kickoff, I suppose. On that day, I had a mastectomy. I went through chemo, I went through reconstruction to rebuild the breast. I went through radiation. I did not like the rebuilt breast. I had construction again. And just on December 2nd, 2020, so five weeks ago, as of Wednesday, I had my third reconstruction. So does it still live in me? Well, I'm still living with it and mm -hmm. quote unquote dealing with it. If someone would have said the day I was diagnosed, hey, in 2020, you will still be dealing with this with surgery, I would have been like, whoa, why would that happen? No, I mean, I'll be fine. Yeah, What do you get, a, a mastectomy, a reconstruction? Yeah, you get a new boob? Yeah, but none of that is true. It's not a new boob, first off. It's a reconstruction. And 
I didn't like the first two. One was hard. The other one was shaped funny. And so I just now, in 2020, December, had another reconstruction. And going under the knife again, it was a nine-hour surgery. I went outside of Sloan to a different doctor who specializes in breast reconstruction, post-mastectomy and everything. And I'm back in physical therapy. I'm back in healing my body okay. from breast cancer. So it lives in me because when I woke up from this surgery and I was in my apartment recovering for the days that I like couldn't really do anything, I was like, this is because of cancer. This isn't a boob job. Yeah, this isn't elective surgery. This is still because you had breast cancer. You're recovering on this couch, sore on eight different pain medicines. In 2020, almost three years, that surgery was December 2nd. I was diagnosed on December 11th. Three years almost to the date of being diagnosed, you are still recovering with physical limitations. Can't go work out anymore. Can't go run anymore. For a couple of weeks as you're recovering, you're sore. People are bringing, need to bring you food. You're sourcing your friends for help again. Three years later. And that's a lot. That's a lot. It's yeah, a you're lot. You're still in it. Still in it, in a sense. Yeah, still in it. And like those first couple of days was realizing how close I will probably always be connected to breast cancer, at least for me. I mean, I had the scare in October. I had my third reconstruction in December. And all of this is almost three years later. Sheila, I can tell you about the scares that I've had. They're so vivid. I can tell you about the time I had a migraine every day. And my doc was like, it's consistent. I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, we better give you an MRI just to make sure that it's not a brain tumor. Yeah. And I get in the memorial shuttle to take me up to this because I'm from out of town. So they try to do all my work in one day and they get me to this MRI place and I'm walking up York Ave. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you've got to pull yourself together. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm in the shuttle. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not one of these people that's having surgery and treatment anymore. I'm beyond this. I'm not having a brain surgery. Like, no way. I'm going to be awake. That, you know, all, I'm making up all this yes. scary stuff in my head. So I'm walking up York Ave. And I look at this guy. And expression on his face looking at me. I'm like, what is wrong with this dude? Like, he's got, pro and I realize, oh, my goodness. He's responding to the look on my face. Oh, wow. I was scared to death. And I just told myself, you know, as a life coach, I was like, dude, you don't have someone to call right now. I started asking myself questions. You know, I was like, what would you say to somebody right now? And I started being with what's so. I'm like, what do you know right now? You know right now you have a headache. Mm -hmm. You know you're getting an MRI. You know you're on York Ave. That's what you know. Yes. I look over, I can see the river, you know, when I look down to cul-de-sac. And I'm like, okay, like, that's what I know. Cool out. Yes. Stop telling, <laughs> stop telling yourself a story that doesn't exist yet. Right, because that's, that's yeah. providing you nothing. The story almost isn't even going to stop stirring in my head, but I don't have to give it my attention. You know? Yeah, give it the power. So come to find out, it's because of my diet. I changed my diet, and I no longer get these headaches. Just certain foods just have uh, vasoactive qualities where they, they cause the, your veins to constrict, and that caused me to get a migraine. So, like, you know, oh, wow. I, don't drink, I don't drink black tea. I don't eat raisins. I don't drink red wine. I don't drink red wine anyway, but like, you know, there's all these Ooh, foods. Oh, love like, red wine. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> if, if I was going to drink wine, if I drink wine, red is where I go. And I get a migraine literally on the second sip. Wow. Can't have it stuff. 
And I remember when I had you know pain where my liver was, and every time I go in, the nurse practitioner, she presses on my abdomen right where my liver surgery was and says, you know, where my liver is, says, take a deep breath, take a breath, and it hurt. And in the 10 minutes between when she said, all right, the doctor will be with you shortly. And when the doctor came in, in the 10 minutes that it took for her to come in and tell me it's nothing, I had already been planning out how I was going to work and get my treatment. What was I going to say to the boys? What was I going to say to my kid's mom? You know, the life I was going to create myself for all my treatment that ended up never happening. And I'm nine years out, you know, and that was a year ago, December, when that happened. Oh, wow. And that's something that the average person doesn't have to, doesn't know about. I don't want to say doesn't know how to deal with, because they don't have to deal with it. It's something that they can't conceptualize or they can say, I mean, but you know, I mean, it probably won't come back. I mean, you're you're fine. You'll be fine. They can say all these things, but they can until you go through cancer or another disease that can take your life away. I don't know if you can understand what the stories that a person create or you can plan not living anymore. I don't want to call it special, but it's special. In a not a positive way, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it changes you. It can change you for the better. It can change you for the negative. You can bury it. You can chop yourself off from feelings. But either way, it's either positive, buried, or or negative. And those are the three three places I think you can go. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And that's that's. Hard, and I think it's hard to explain that, which I don't ever really do, to people or to someone who hasn't been through cancer. I think that's beautifully put. And what I chose to do, like I said, I was like, if I'm going to die from this, I'm going to live my ass off. And then once I started, once I was told I was cancer free and I was living, and then I got through the second diagnosis and was told I was cancer free, I was like, Everywhere this comes up for me, I'm going to do my best with my therapist or like I go, I go to these seminars, these 10 session seminars twice a year. So, you know, so I can, it brings my attention to the, to blind spots, to areas of my mind where I can't see how I'm kind of on autopilot. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? How I have stories that I'm reacting to that I don't even realize I'm reacting to. You know, I do work to distinguish you know, in, not just in the area of cancer, in all areas of life, but it includes cancer. And for this conversation, yeah, like noticing like, okay, I keep death in my front pocket now at all times. I keep death very close to me because I think about the decisions that I'm going to make now. You, could, you might die very soon, but you can get cancer again and die. So like, how are you going to live your life? Mm-hmm. Now, someone could hear that and be like, damn, dude, like that sounds terrible. Not in the morbid sense, but just like, Keeps you present. The, the, yes, keeps you present because the illusion of immortality has been shattered. And oh, I absolutely. Use, I use that to my, I'm like, use that to my advantage. I'm going to stop pretending. And there are times when it's like it can be a bit much. Yes. And then you said you're seeing a therapist. I see a therapist. I've worked, I work with a life coach uh, every other week. And I just constantly empowering myself being willing to just just do the work like you said you know how do you get rid of the cancer trauma in your body like 
in an actual physical sense, I'm now going to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Because Is that called core energetics? <laughs> I don't know. And but I like, think it may be because that's exactly very similar to the type of therapist I go to. So I got a lot the, of I, pelvic floor stuff. <laughs> I got issues peeing. Like when I think I'm done peeing, I'm not done peeing. And so she's working with me and she's talking with me about how like, she goes, your pelvic region is so tight. She's like, it's like it's protecting itself. Well, mm -hmm. my surgery went from the, my sternum all the way down to my pelvic bone. And then for the first surgery, it went all that distance and they turned me over and then they cut me up the backside. So like oh, wow. my whole pelvic region is just like, whoa. Mm, it is holding in, trauma. It's in lockdown mode, holding trauma. And so she gives me these exercises to do where I get like in a, like in a lunge position, like, you know, my right knee's down, my left foot is, is flat. And then I'm just like turning my the bottom of my pelvis forward and like pushing. So it's causing my ab, my pelvis and abdomen and thigh, right? To stretch. And I'm doing that and it's real tight. And then I just say to him, just yesterday, I, I said to myself, I, I like I said, like I spoke to my pelvis. I was like, you're safe. Mm -hmm. You're safe. You know, I'm not saying it can happen again, but nothing's happening right now. And my body literally relaxed and I had to adjust oh, wow. my leg because there was more stretch to come. Oh, wow. My pelvic region is just like, uh-uh. And like, I don't know if this is going to sound good or sound bad or, or, but like nine years out, I'm still from my second diagnosis and I'm still finding areas of myself where, where I'm constrained, where I'm stopped. You know what I mean? Where, where my body's like not up to speed on it. Yeah. And I don't, I think it's just the reality. Yeah. I mean, there's a, that just means that there's more healing to do and moving that, I don't know, moving the trauma through. I don't know. It's feel like that's something my therapist would say. We have to move the trauma through, Shayla. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the best thing I ever did for myself was after I finished all of my breast cancer treatment and I felt myself feeling, as I always tell to everyone, some kind of way. I felt happy, but I also felt not happy to be finished. Not not happy, just more or less like I felt some things I didn't know how to formulate. I didn't know what they were. And the best thing I did for myself was put myself in therapy. Mm -hmm. Knowing that something wasn't right. And I'd never been to therapy my entire life. No? No. Was it a hurdle for you to get in to make that decision? Yes and no. I think the hurdle was trusting. The hurdle was finding someone. I think that was it. I didn't know. I didn't even know how to find anyone. So the first, all right. The, the, my first connection was via a friend that was in chemo, and one of her friends, I went to go sit with her, and one of her friends was. We were talking, and everyone, because I had just finished everything, and everyone was like, "How are you doing?" And I was like, "I th think I need therapy." And one of the girls was like, "Oh." I can ask a friend, and she connected me to someone. That person didn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, never went to them. They, 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 they weren't there in their office when I came for my appointment. Oh. Yeah, crazy, right? Like, they just weren't there. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I don't need therapy. Maybe this is a sign from the universe. <laughs> the universe is like, Shayla, you're fine. You don't need therapy. Long story short, I definitely need therapy, but I was connected to my therapist Actually, via meeting two people at a party, dancing, talking about the end of the year, talking about what was coming up next. I said, I just finished cancer treatment. 
one of the guys said, what is that? Like, what do you do now? And I was like, I think I need therapy. At the same time, we were dancing on the dance floor. I'm talking about at a really good, like, rave party. Hands in the air, mm. flashing lights. We're having this serious conversation. <laughs> and um, this guy said, oh, me and my friends have a therapist. Me and my friend, he pointed to his friend, because I was at this party by myself. So if we have a therapist, maybe they can connect you to a female. And that's how I was connected to my therapist today, via meeting two guys on a dance floor at a party in Brooklyn. Mm. And so the universe is like, no, you're going to get a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get one, but I think this is probably the best way for you to trust the situation. Yeah, and it it has been amazing, exactly what I need. And I'm glad that I, not stuck with therapy, I'm glad that I listened and knew that, that, I was supposed to like go to this woman's office. Like I'm glad that I listened and didn't just. It was a party, you know. It was, it it would have been very easy to be like yeah yeah party and forget about it tomorrow. But the next day or two days or three days later, the guy texts and said, "Hey, um, don't forget." And when he said that, I was like, mm. no, "It's real. I'm supposed I'm supposed to do this because I know you know you need it, and like the universe is making it very clear." this is probably going to be your person. And it has been the, the entire time. Oh. And so I'm, it wasn't a hurdle per se, but it was like, if my therapist's name and number would not have been handed to me, I'm not sure I would have known a resource to get a therapist, which is something that is like, I imagine a lot of people go through or like, then you're trying to handle all this crap by yourself. And I'm not a group person. I was never going to go to a group thing at Sloan Kettering. I was never going to do that. Those groups are always white women, to be honest, and older. And mm-hmm. I'm a black female and younger, and it's never going to give it a try. And I'm really happy that I don't. I wouldn't be where I am today as a person, growth-wise, post-cancer, and like having even processed a little bit of this trauma or most of this trauma in my body. I wouldn't be there without having taken this step for myself. Yeah, yeah. I can hear how there was a push. For you to go to the therapist but there yes. was also that part of you that was at a party dancing your tail off and says yes. to a complete stranger i think i need therapy like a party yes. was like yo you got to go yes yes i'm curious about what you said you're like you know you didn't want to go to the support group because it's going to be a bunch of older white women like i went to a support group for men who've had cancer and they're all way older than me and then, like, now I go to a colorectal support group in my community. There is a guy that's younger than me, but it's mostly women. Oh, wow. But there's a couple guys, but you did not want to go to a group where there are going to be certain aspects of the experience that just could not be. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. When I thought, when I think of the cancer experience, even in general, I mean, yeah, you see a person of everyone in the in who's getting can- uh, breast cancer treatment. I mean, for at Sloan Kettering, the breast cancer area is a completely separate building from everything else. We have our own building, own floors. I don't see any other type of cancer patient when I'm at Sloan. So you're sitting there, yes, you see everyone. But for average, most people are older than me. Mm. And at this point, now I'm 42, then I was 39. It weren't many young people in there. It wasn't many young black females in there. Right. Yes, there were black women, but they were older. And so I saw myself, even when I, you know, interacted with my doctors, like me saying, 
hey, so how is this going to affect my working out? How is this going to affect my running? Like, that wasn't their concern because they're like, we're here to keep you alive, but, you know, we're not really dealing with all these people who care about their working out habits in with cancer. And I kind of assumed that that would linger and be the same thing of going into a group at the hospital. Like, it would not be the girl who wants to stay in shape, hang with her friends while going through chemo with breast cancer and losing her hair. Going, like, I didn't feel like anyone there would, would represent myself. So I didn't, I didn't bother. Gotcha. And so age was also a factor. Because I was wondering if there'd be like, you know, you live in New York. So I was wondering if there would be like, you know, a, a cancer support group for black women. You know what? I don't know. And I'm sure, I am sure there is. There are also, like, now, you know, I'm connected to various younger groups via Instagram that, that I definitely started somewhere, like, yeah, either I found out about them while I was in treatment, one while I was in treatment called The Breasties, and another one called The Breast of Us, which is minority women of all ages, and Breasties is just, like, younger breast cancer survivors, thrivers, in all, all the categories. To this day, I can still say I don't want to go to a group support. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's my my way, but you know what? I also just said earlier in our conversation that I've lost my power and I didn't feel grounded or centered through the whole thing. So perhaps I should have, you know? So, You know, Sheila, I worked with a coach when I was going through the cancer and I worked with a therapist for a little bit in the first diagnosis. I just didn't feel connected to the support group. I just, it sounds like for you, there were specific areas of life that mattered to you and yes. you weren't feeling a connection in support of those areas of life from your doctors or from the people you were interacting with. It's like, what do you mean you don't have information for me about how to continue to work out while I go through this? Yes. That's a vital part of my existence of my existence. Yeah. Yes. And you don't have anything for me. Yeah. And so you found a therapist where you could focus on you and bring attention to what your priorities were versus opening yourself up to a group where, I mean, I will say personally that when I finally went to support group, I was like, wow. I mean, there was times I started getting overwhelmed as, you know, tears are arising. I was so moved, but yeah. it happened when it happened. It, you, mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have to. I, you know, I, when I started going to the support group, I started going and it worked, but I like you. I didn't begin with a support group. I had to work on me. Mm-hmm. I, I felt so rocked. I felt so ripped apart and so not connected to the life I once had that I did not want to sit in a support group and share the space. I wanted me space. Same, same. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Same. I needed, and uh, without even knowing that those are the things I needed. For me, I, for me, cancer brought up things I didn't know existed in my body. Uh, people call them feelings. Um, <laughs> I love you. Oh, my God. People call them feelings. Feelings. That's what I heard. I'll just give you the analogy that I, that I give everyone on everything. Is that, like, for me, prior to cancer, you know, the oil and vinegar salad dressing, mm-hmm. and it has pretty little beautiful herbs on the bottom. You put it in your refrigerator, and I was... This perfect little bottle of, of oil, vinegar, salad dressing with the herbs on the bottom. Cancer came and shook the bottle. And when it shook the bottle, those herbs, they came to the top. And during cancer, I didn't know what these herbs were. 
and that they're floating around. Now I know that those herbs are feelings. And what I know even more is that those herbs aren't really just feelings. They were every, they were feelings mixed with, with wounds that I had not processed and things that, that hurt I have had, had encountered in, in childhood and, and things that, not, nothing, nothing super crazy, but like things that I would have never thought about, never faced, those are what cancer brought up for me. And in a sense, not in a sense, for me, those things that are brought up are what have made me who I am today and on the path I am today and what I guess I would call the spiritual awakening that I am on today is because of cancer. So, yeah, so it wasn't, I wasn't able to be in a support group or, or those things. I just wanted to live my life, keep going with my life. And then realized after cancer that my life is no longer my life. That that Shayla that I knew is no longer the Shayla that's here today. And that's, for me, is what also propelled me into therapy. Was that like, it's the same thing. It's like even today, when I, when I look at those pictures of Shayla BC, that's before cancer, in case you're wondering. Mm-hmm. But when I look at those pictures of Shayla BC, when my hair was different because I hadn't gone through chemo, and now I'm a natural short hair girl... Those the, that Shayla, I don't really recognize her. Mm-hmm. She hadn't been through anything, and I think that's like the thing that like with cancer that that kind of sucks. It makes you go through something, and then maybe you come out at the other end, and you aren't so connected with that other person. And then what? What I say this a lot. What do you do with that? Like, what do you do with 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 that? So you, you lose your, for me and other breast cancer people, we lose our breast, you get reconstructed, you go through chemo, you lose your hair, and you lose a part of who you, who you were. That part can be replaced or can grow into a more beautiful part, you know, like a little caterpillar or whatever, and now you're a little butterfly fluttering around, you're living your best butterfly life. But, you know, I think that that's probably one of the hardest parts with cancers is that, that coming out. The after part, when when you have to be with your new self, the new self that you did not know was going to happen when you're going through cancer, if any of that makes sense. Well, I'll tell you what, it, I think it does. I have this image in my mind of you and you have your people that are listening. I have like my hands in the air in front of me like scales. Like in, in the left hand, there's the Shayla that you used to be. And that how you operated in the world and like, you know, what your vision of the world was. And then your right hand is the Shayla that I was going to say you've become, but it's more the Shayla you're becoming. Yes. The evolution of a new being. And it sounds like you're kind of in the middle. You're like the one on the left doesn't look like you anymore. But now there's this one on the right, but you can still see them both. A little less for the for the the BC Shayla. A I'm little very, less. A lot starting, less, actually. A, a lot, lot less. less. Yeah, yeah. I'm very close with the new Shayla. I like her. I like where where I've come. If anything, I say that for me, cancer seemingly was like what the universe needed me to go through in order to become the person I'm supposed to become. So I don't. I would never turn my back on BC Shayla. BC mm-hmm. Shayla 
lived an amazing fucking life. I'm telling you that. She lived her best <laughs> life. And AC, Shayla, after cancer, Shayla, still living her best fucking life. I have a lot of fun. So we're very much intertwined with each other. It's just knowing that that I, that I may have, I wasn't so present. I wasn't so present before. And now I'm more present. When I'm, when I'm with my friends, I love being with my friends. Like, when I'm with them, it's like, there's sometimes I come home and I'm like, oh, that, that moment was just amazing. And sometimes, and a lot of times, those moments aren't anything but we walked. And in the year of COVID, there's been a lot of walking with friends. And you know, I love it. I love the moments that I, that I have with friends from the moment I was diagnosed to like these moments after and we sit and I feel like I'm closer with friends because part of me, because I'm more present, part of it's because I went through cancer and they were there with me and perhaps made me more closer to them also because it's like my friend is going through this and I can't believe I have a friend at this age who's going through breast cancer. Like it makes it more real for people. But yeah, I'm more present in the moments that I have with friends. I have some amazing, beautiful moments. I value them and love those moments more than before. Before, I would have said, oh man, that was a really fun weekend. That was really cool. I had a really good time doing A, B, C, and D. Now I'm like, oh my God, A, B, C, and D. Mm. That A, B, C, and D was, whew. Oh, what a moment. Okay, where's my pen and paper? Need to write about the moment. Like that's, that's the difference. And that's not bad. And I like that I'm more present. I definitely wish I could have got here without cancer and without losing a breast and without having had to have my third reconstruction, you know, five weeks ago. I wish I wish that I would give anything to not have gone through cancer. But I don't know what I would give to, like, have the growth. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Yeah. I uh, have grown so much as a result of my diagnosis, you know, getting really straight with myself about the life I'm living. And I loved the life that I was living before I got diagnosed, but I realized how much pretending was going on. And now, like, at this point in my life, the time I spend, where I devote my time, is so important to me. I don't waste it. I don't accept invitations to things I don't want to do where I used to. I'm like, this is my life, and it is precious. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing from you is like, and you say you're now you're present. Sounds like you're really aware of the value that your friendships provide you. Yeah, friendships, family, all all of it, like connections with people. Connections, yeah, like those these times could leave. Like as I just said, you know, in October I had a scare. And with that scare, with like a, the, the slap in the face reality of like, you know what? Like it may not matter that you're doing all this stuff. It could come back. Like you said yourself, you, you've, you've gone through this two times. You've gone through cancer. I know that it can come back. And October showed me that. And maybe it also showed me that, yeah, like what you're doing and how you're feeling and how you're being present. Like keep doing it. Keep doing it. Don't, don't you get too comfortable and yeah, that's something. Yeah. To to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> May I ask you when did when when you you were on the Black Cancer podcast? And yes. For those of you listening, that's how I found Shayla. I heard the episode, and I'm curious. 
two things. Well, the first is the question, when was it recorded? Uh, the Black Cancer episode was recorded in, it was before my birthday, so um, early, early August 2020. Early August, all right. Because when I heard you speaking on that podcast, like the power in your voice just stopped me in my tracks. Oh, like, thank you. Yeah, I was like, who is this woman? And as I'm listening to you speak, it sounds like what got my attention was Shayla AC. It was just, there was something in your voice. I was just like, there's power in your voice. And when I say there was power in your voice, as there is now, there's intention behind your speaking. Uh, thank you. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's not, you're not speaking, uh, I think that's how I want to say it. There's just, there's clear intention behind your speaking. Thank you. I mean, I just try to be honest with the whole journey, but like, it has just made me more vulnerable. It has made me more vulnerable for when I share this experience and when I share the things that it, how it's impacted my life. And perhaps sometimes I wish that maybe it did impact my life. Maybe I wish that I could have just like went through it, packed all this up in a little suitcase, put that suitcase in a way bag actually, put that, mm -hmm. that's a nice suitcase, put it under the bed, little carry-on under the bed, poof, just left it there and went on with my little life. But we all know what happens when you put stuff in the cute away bag and under the bed, you gotta pull it out sometime or it comes out on its own, right? It rolls itself out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> it comes looking for you. It finds it comes, its way yeah, out. It says, yeah. I need to be attended to. Yeah, your roller back starts chasing you. I mean, sometimes maybe I wish that that happened, but it didn't. And so... What do you mean you wish what happened? That, that yeah, that maybe sometimes I wish that I could have just like went through it, put it in a little away bag, put it in another bed, and like gotcha. kept, kept it moving. But I wasn't able to do that. There was never a point that I... If I even thought about it for a moment, there was never a point that I was able to actually do that. And so when you say I speak with intention, I think that's... It. It's just I try to be very honest with, with where this journey personally took me, understanding that everyone's cancer journey and breast cancer journey specifically is going to be different. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be different. And I don't want to set like a, a tone that someone's journey has to be mine and you have to come out of cancer and light, enlightened. But I can say that, you know, as much as the journey sucks, Sometimes maybe there's something that comes out of it. Maybe you realize something. Maybe you realize you don't like your job and then you realize you want to do something you do like. Like it could be even little things like that. Yeah, I think I think that's why I try to talk with intention with it. And also just because I want people to know that it's my personal journey that I'm not and I want to make sure I'm not that no one ever feels that I'm projecting my journey onto them. If that makes sense. It does make sense. We all go through it our own way, and everyone's diagnosis is unique. Everyone's not everyone's diagnosis. Everyone's treatment is unique, and the process by which you go through, and how you grow or how you don't. Like some folks that I interview on the podcast, or some clients that I have, you know, they are. Some are just really clear. This happened. I got my treatment. I moved on. And then there are folks who, you know, like me where it's like, I'm not thrilled about this. I wish I didn't have it, but I'm really clear that it had me start living the life that I love way more than the life I already loved. 
it woke me up to aspects of myself, you know, like vulnerability, you know, as far as feelings go, I've been Mr. Feelings since like the day I can remember. I just spent the early <laughs> half of my life, early part of my life trying to pretend I didn't have them, but they were like, yeah, don't even try, dude. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that was not me. I was not Miss Feelings. I'm going to tell you that <laughs> right now. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I had so many friends sit in, in chemotherapy with me. I had friends at the hospital with me for the mastectomy. Yeah. And people would say, oh, you went through it so strong. You know what? I can remember every single chemo session, including when they couldn't get the needle in my arm. And it hurt, including that on session three, four, and five, I threw up, mm. including after session four, all my hair was, was falling out. And my friend that was in town, who's a hairdresser, cut my hair off. So it's like, maybe I've, I remember the first time I, I wore a wig and it took me two hours to leave the house because I wasn't convinced I had the wig on correctly. Mm. And I had to call a friend and, and send a picture and say, hey, does this look okay? Like, all of those things. And when people are like, oh, you're so strong, it's like, I don't think I felt so strong going through it. I felt like I did what I had to do, but there's no point in it where I don't remember every single painful moment. Like, I didn't feel strong when they couldn't find the vein in my arm. I didn't feel strong when I lost my hair. I didn't feel strong when I wore a wig for the first time. I didn't feel strong when I went to the gym in snuckily took the wig off and put on a hat so that I could go work out. So as much as I kept my life, as much as I was like, I'm still going to work out, I absolutely fucking hated going to the gym and taking off a wig every time I went. Oh. And so there's, there's these things that like, the side that I think that is so hard to explain and, and it's like, yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe I speak with intentions, maybe I feel vulnerable and, and, and I came out stronger, but those moments within still, like, I can remember it and I can feel them. I didn't have hair for five months or something and I wore a hat. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't going to work out in a wig, but I wasn't going to not wear the wig. So it was like, you have to take it off in the locker room and I would sneak and then, you know, make sure I was, like, by the locker and take it off, hang it up, put the hat on. And when someone's bald with no eyelashes and no eyebrows, you can tell that in a hat. Right. So as I'm working out, I don't feel like myself. I don't look like myself. My face is bloated from chemo meds. I don't have an, a hair on my body. You know, and with a hat, you can still look at the back of a person's head and be like, that person is bald. And so I felt and thought and realized all of those things. It sounds like people are saying, oh, Shelly, you're so strong. You're like, yo, I'm pretending. I'm out yeah. in the world pretending I'm not wearing a wig. I'm out in the world trying to pretend I don't look like I got no eyebrows and a bloated face. Like, you're calling yeah. me strong, but like... I'm just okay. trying to make it. I'm just right. trying to make it to the next day, to the next session, to get through the end. Like, yeah, I don't... And even now when people are like, oh, you went through it so strong... Can you talk to my friend? I'm like, yeah, I am honored and privileged to be able to talk to anyone and help them through this. And I will absolutely be there for anyone. I've already been there for people, but I'm very cautious to always say like, to never say that I was strong and that you'll be strong. Cause you know what else? Why do you have to be strong going through this? Like, and that's the, that's the misconception is like to be strong. Like it's okay to not be strong. It's okay to, hate the process. It's okay to not want to go to chemo. It's okay to 
Well, for me, it's okay to have been late to every single chemo session. By a lot, actually. I was always like within 30 to 45 minutes late to every session. Probably more <laughs> than 45 to an hour when I really want to be honest about it. It's okay. It's okay to not have to feel like you have to be strong. Just feel like you know you have to get through it, however however you do. And I, at that strength word, it still it makes me feel sometimes like, thank you, but I didn't feel strong. I felt like I was just doing what I had to do. Make it. Yeah, that is so resonating with me. Again, like first time diagnosed, 2007. So I'm like, what, 13 and a half years out, almost 14 yeah. out from my first diagnosis. And this is a new conversation. In 2007, 2008, and nine, there was some social media for cancer survivors. But I couldn't be reading about people with stage four with metastasis to three different parts of their body. Mm-hmm. And like, it was so, I was already scared enough. I was already concerned enough. Like I told you, I mostly believed I was going to be okay, but I start reading about that stuff and I was getting oh, freaked yeah. out. So I stepped away from the social media, the cancer social media. And then when I started this podcast, I decided, you know, I want to have a social media presence, obviously. So I started searching, I started looking and I start following people and I'm reading these things about, you know, I'm not a hero. I'm not a superhero. Please don't acknowledge me for my strength. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, people acknowledge me for my strength all the time. And they're like, how did you do it? Or they say, I don't know how I, if I could do what you did. I said, you want to know what I think? I think well, you do- will. You would. Like, there's you, no, you- there's one, there's two, you got two options. Not do it, do it. The only thing, your options really come in, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Yeah, you know, That's it. You're going to do it or you're not going to do it. I had someone at, say the, yes, the other day, a, a girl that's been connected to me that I'm talking to, helping through this process, like, but do I have to do chemo? I said, no, you do not. But do you want to wonder if something comes back? Should you have done chemo at least the first time? Perhaps. That's all I can tell you. But you do not have to. You do not. Right. You don't. Think about what you want to do, but make your own decision. But you don't have to. There are two choices. Do it, don't do it. Right, you get to make the call. You get to make the call. And people are like, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't think I could have gone through breast cancer. Well, hey, you're lucky. (laughs) You have not had to make that decision. But let me tell you, if you ever, unfortunately, had to, you probably would. You do what we all do. Go to the appointments, not happy about it, be upset about it, cry about it, get in the car and go to the appointment get to the surgery. You, you just chuck along and, and get it done. Yeah, say the same thing. I, I'm all, I usually say that, like, well, you would <laughs> if you had to. Right, I say to folks, I don't know how I would do it. I say you'd probably go through it the same way you go through everything in life. Yeah, true. You're already you. You're going to go through it however you go through things. And how do I go through things? By having my heart on my sleeve and telling everyone about it, I'm the guy. You know, see, you see cancer. You know, on cancer feed, you see memes about like, you know, people ask me how I'm doing, and I actually tell them. Yeah, <laughs> that's been me my whole life. You know. Oh but my like, god. <laughs> I started realizing all these years I've been acknowledged for being strong. Like, I so appreciated the folks saying like, you know, I'm not a hero. I'm not a superstar. I'm just doing what I got to do because I want to be alive. And I'll yeah. add into it that I wanted to be alive while I was living. Like they say, you know, the word survivor really threw me for a long time because I had, you know, we would honor survivors and celebrate them. I'm like, I have friends who died of cancer, many of them. 
and they were survivors the entire time. The cancer never killed them. The cancer yes, took yeah. their body, but they were alive and vibrant yes. and wonderful the whole time. So I struggled with that word until one of the guests said to me, he said, I call, I use survivor for people who are here and people who are gone. Mm-hmm. And it really is speaking to me now about this thing about, you know, when people say, hey, you have cancer, you don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to inspire anybody. Yes. You don't have to be that. Go through your treatment, you know, take your doctor's recommendations, listen to their advice, and then you make the final decision and you go through it however you go through it. You have no obligation to be something that you, you don't need to be a, a hero or an inspiration for the community. You can be miserable because you want to know what? Cancer treatment sucks. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's miserable. It makes you sick. It hurts. It stops you from being able to live your life. There's nothing. Of, it's so, it's, it's like a prehistoric treatment. It's like, it feels like, you know, you might as well be putting leeches on me and yeah. do some bloodletting, you know, because, and you want to know what? It's where we are right now. It's, it's what we, we got. And so, but it's, there's going to come a time. They're going to look back on cancer treatments and be like, damn, that's what they used to do when you had cancer. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yo, it's all we had. It's all we had. We put, we inject poison into your body for four hours. <laughs> get you jacked up on some steroids and some yeah. nausea meds and send you home. All of it. <laughs> and they give you a shot. I don't know if you had the shot, the new Lasta shot to get your white blood yes. cell count up. Yep. Know all about it. Kayla. That stuff hurt my body so yeah. bad. It was so I, painful. Joint pains, like. Pfft. Now they say they got, um, they're giving people Claritin, Claritin D. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was I was using that. So you take two or three pills and it kind of helps. It helps mitigate it some. But yes. You know what they gave me? They gave me Percocet. Oh, wow. Well, they didn't you know give it. Did? They don't that give it. They knocked me just, the hell out. They just <laughs> say, like, um, this is something that people say has helped them. But yeah, the new Lester shot, like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot, man. It's it's hard, but, yeah. That's why I think it's cool that you uh, that you have this podcast, so people have a resource and something that they can that they can turn to if if they ever get on this journey when they Google something comes up for them to to be able to hear and have as a resource. Yeah, thank you. I want them to hear you being real about your experience. I don't want to put on a motivational, feel-good conversation. I want to have conversations with you about the things in your diagnosis that worked for you. You spoke about your uh, spiritual awakening and you discovering your feelings. That's beautiful. I also want to hear about what was horrible about it. I want to hear about where you struggled. You know, I want to hear where it was difficult because I don't want to hear about it. I want people to be able to hear about it so they can know, like, if you're getting your infusion right now and your earbuds are on and you're listening to this or you're home on your couch or in your car and someone's driving for you and you're just curled up in a ball and you're listening to us speak, it's like, yeah, Shayla and I have been where you're at. And it's hard. It's hard. You don't need to prove anything. Nope. And you get through it. And sometimes you feel like hell going. I look back on like when I was getting radiation, Shayla, I had rectal cancer. So I was getting oh, chemo wow. and radiation. Yeah. So I got chemo making me sick and I got, you know, putting blisters in my mouth and making me nauseous. I've got radiation. Burning. Burning my anus, putting boils on my testicles. Yeah. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. My bowels were so tore up. I was like, I was bloated and in mm -hmm. pain for five and a half weeks. And then they stopped the, they stopped the radiation and came up for five and a half weeks. But the, the cumulative effects keep going. Yes. It's really hard. And 
yeah, you want you want to tell me how strong I am? Be with me <laughs> during that five and a half weeks where you didn't see me at all. I don't know yeah. if I was strong. I think I was just hanging on. Yeah, I went through four months of chemo and then five weeks of radiation. That's a lot. Yeah, so it was all of, all together, like almost a year worth of things. I just diagnosed December eleventh, two thousand and seventeen, and I finished October ninth, two thousand and eighteen. So yeah, so a whole year of my life that yeah, I will always remember. Can you tell us about the uh, about the chemo and radiation? Oh, I mean, the impact is everything everyone knows it is. Bloating, hair loss, don't feel good, weak, tired. I can't say another time in my life that I have felt, and I've run the marathon two times. Uh, I'm a lifelong runner. I, if, so I'm athletic, so I've definitely put my body through things. There's never been a time that felt like chemo. And for me, I think it's hard to put into words what it really feels like but it feels exactly what you think it feels like. It does not feel good. I mean, it's hard, it changes everything. And yeah, I mean, losing my hair was hard. I hated that moment was probably one of the most, one of the most of, and I said this so many times in the cancer journey, I'm like, oh, that was one of the most emotional parts. And I'm like, nope, that was the most emotional part. That was one of the 15 most emotional parts of the cancer <laughs> journey. It was like losing my hair and like having to, to be with that and not recognizing myself when I look in the mirror. Like all of those things are hard and all of those things suck. As you spoke about the hair loss, no difficult that was. My hair fell out, but I did not lose my eyebrows or my beard. Oh, wow. I was a bald I was a bald dude with eyebrows and a beard. Like I looked like normal. Yeah. You know, yeah. My, people who knew me, they were like, wow, that's got to be that's just chemo, you know. But out in the world. Yeah. I put on a pair of sunglasses, just looked like whatever. Yeah. But I lost every hair on my body. Mm. And, the, and the chemo that most of breast cancer people, women go through, which is AC and Taxol, you lose every hair. Eyelashes, eyebrows, nose wow. hairs, every, everything. For real? Yeah. Every single hair. Every single hair. Yeah. So, I mean, like your pores are empty. So when... I lost my hair. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't even see a pore. And that was hard. And that, that, that's part of the trauma too. The trauma is not just the breast cancer diagnosis. The trauma is the entire journey of breast cancer. Yeah, it really is. I'll tell you what did impact me though, because I had rectal cancer, I had to get a permanent colostomy. And having that pouch, Shayla, you want to talk about trying to keep it a secret? Wow. Having people not see it? I spent so many years hiding it. I had a friend finally say to me, she was like, you know, you fuss with your shirt so much, you're bringing attention to your pouch. Oh, wow. But I didn't want people to see it. Yeah, yeah, of course. I don't want poop to be involved with my situation. You don't need to know about that, you know? Yeah. But it's like, right, that's what, that's what it's for. Yeah. Now, now I'll go to the beach and just have a pair of swim trunks on and my pouch is just there and it's like, you know, I know for some people it'd be kind of weird. Some people know what it is. I heard yes. some kids playing at the beach one time. They're like, oh, look at that guy. He's got what grandma's got or something oh, like wow. that, you know? Yeah. 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 And then I had some kid ask me, I said, well, the doctor put it there so it would save my life. But I spent a number of years not being willing to have my shirt off. Wow. You know, I still tend to wear like I am now. Looser I wear, shirt. I wear button down looser shirts because I don't mind you knowing that I have a colostomy, but I don't like being in the guy who you take a double take because you're like, what's going on down on his stomach there? What's on his abdomen, you know? 
why do I, why does that bother me? I don't know. There's something else to look at as far as my growth as a person and what cancers landed in my life, you know? There's times I wish my body could just be intact. Yeah. And I'm learning more and more to be like, this is what it is, man. Like this, this is my life. And if I'm going to live my life, am I going to be, am I going to hide out and not live my life because of what people think of me? And when you say it like that, you're like, oh, wait, right. Yeah. Like, I, and then I have to, you know, and I'm ashamed. I have to admit like, yes, I live aspects of my life based on what people think. Yes. Well, and I mean, I tough- think that's pretty normal and also called our, our ego, right? And I think that that's okay. And, and that like all parts of the ego, I don't think have to be tamed and put under control. But hmm. I think that that's, if it's not hindering your, your day or your self-esteem per se fully, I think it's okay to acknowledge that I, that I wish that I still had two breasts. Right, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't change. I still wear a bathing suit. I'm actually fine in a bikini, everything. I still still have to see it every day when I'm in the mirror. I don't hate myself when I look in the mirror. I actually love looking at Shayla in the mirror. But don't (laughs) think that I don't notice my reconstructed breast in the mirror every day. That would be a lie. Don't think that I don't always look at it and see the difference between the reconstructed breast and the natural breast that I still have. It just doesn't impact my self-esteem, but it is definitely part of my self-awareness. Right on. Well put. Yeah. That's where I am now. It took me a long time to get there. I've always had body issues around the fact that I'm a skinny guy, you know? Okay. And and then when the pouch showed up, I was like, oh, no, I was kind of just getting over this whole skinniness thing, and now this happened. But, hey, it is what it is. You know, it's what what was brought to me. It's what... I try to not spend too much time arguing with life for how life happens because, like, you don't get a choice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So giving it too much attention and upset can just be, you know, that, that's really where my teachers, spiritual teachers and therapists have kind of brought me to, like, start noticing where I'm arguing with life for happening the way it's happening. It's like, well, there's certain things you can't change. Like, yeah, exactly. Whatever happened to your body is what it is. So, like, Devoting a lot of attention to wishing it could be another way is just kind of a kind of a waste of energy. Absolutely. Can't argue with gravity. <laughs> no. it's gonna... it's gravity and change are happening whether whether you want it or not. <laughs> so you said you had three breast reconstructive surgeries because you didn't like the first two. Yes. Now I've spoken to people who wish they had gotten additional surgery and had it changed. So I'm curious about that. Did it take anything for you, or was it just like snap of a finger, like, nope, this is not working? Oh, yeah. It's like, no, it's not working. I don't like this. I've seen others that I like. I've seen some friends who reconstruction that they love theirs. I don't like mine, so I know that I can like it because I know people who like theirs, you know, in in the grand scheme of what they have compared to uh, losing a breast, losing breast. And because of that, I knew that what I had, I didn't like. And I knew that there's what I told and shared what people had. They're like, oh, this is, mine is very hard. Or I don't like this shape. They're like, oh, no, like you should get it redone. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting it redone. And it all, you know, still falls under breast cancer. Okay. So it's, it's not, it's not considered by insurance. It's like not elective surgery. Elective. You were nope. like, this is not working. This needs this to be fixed. This is not fixed. working. Yeah. This needs to be fixed. 
the first one was clearly you always get the first one. That's just part of the thing. The second one was still at Sloan. So it still falls under breast cancer. It's still reconstruction. I don't know what they file it under, but it's, I mean, it still hits your insurance for me, you know, under breast cancer. That would probably be the the guiding light out of all of this is that like I can go to the hospital for almost anything and it's almost slightly, almost always attached to breast cancer. I can go to Sloan for everything now. And that's an amazing hospital system. Oh, and yeah. it, a lot of it still falls under your insurance. It's like, could be related. It's she's high risk, anything. And so, yeah, for the third one, it's still feeling the breast cancer. Like it's, it's too tight. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable and it's still related to breast cancer. So for me, it was, it's inconvenient. Like I don't like that I can't work out now for, for six to eight weeks. I don't like that I had to have surgery again and go through the whole healing process and soreness and sleeping on your back. You can't sleep on your stomach or side for weeks. Like I hate that I had to go through all of that and it still brings you, it's like very triggering that it takes you right through like how you feel about your cancer journey and all of that. But for me, it was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get something that I like. And for this one, I went outside of Sloan to a private person, like I said, and it was a completely different surgery. She did fat grafting, mm. switched the implant from being under the muscle to on top of the muscle. So I, in the grand scheme, be able to use my chest more naturally instead of my chest being stretched out, holding an implant. So those things for me were like knowing that I'm, I'm 42. I have to look at myself every day until the day I die, whenever that is, and I hope it's a long life. If it's going to be a long life, then I'm going to look in the mirror and want to see something that I don't mind having. And now, yeah, it looks better. I mean, it does not look like a, a regular breast. There's no nipple, any of those things. But I like what I look at now better. And I did commit myself on my third surgery that this would be the last one, that it was time to just take this, um, accept mm. it, become one with it. That's part of the process too. Like I said, like this, this journey is fucking long and it's not just get through treatment. That's all, it's all of this. This is part of the journey. Yeah. With my colostomy, there's a, the large intestine is only really, it's like held up. It comes up from the base of the torso and then it gets held up on the right side. Then it kind of goes across the transverse colon. It gets held up at a second point, and then it drops down. Like there's very little tissue keeping it from moving around. Wow. So when they do the surgery, it comes out of the abdomen, and they kind of fold it over like you're folding up the cuff of a jean, and then they stitch that to the outside skin. So it's just, it's just a large intestine. It's kind of poking its head out of your abdomen. So it started like coming out more, and so they had to correct it. So I went in, and he cut it, and then cut some of it off and then folded it back over and stitched it up again. It's called a prolapse. Like oh, wow. This is years out that I had to go in and have a little corrective surgery done, you know, just because of these body issues that happen as a result of mm -hmm. the surgery that happen as a result of having cancer, you know? Yeah. So, and uh, you said that this last time they took the fat and the tissue mm -hmm. and they put it on top of the muscle. Now, is that a new thing or is it just different? Is, is it, has it always been an alternative? It's an alternative, and I think it's becoming more popular. Typically, they just did, uh, they basically, you get a mastectomy, they put the implant underneath a muscle, they stretch out your pec muscle, create mm. like a capsule, then they put the real implant in there later, typically after radiation. And that's how they create the breast. Now, instead, they put the chest back down into its normal pectoral place, and now the implant is on top of it. And then on top of that, they put fat. 
to make it like look a little bit more normal. Because when you have a mastectomy, they take all of your breast tissue and the fat, so it's just skin left. So for me, they, they and for a lot of people now, this is an, another option that's definitely more comfortable if you're active. It sounds like it would be more comfortable to not have something under the muscle. Exactly. That sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so now you got it on top. They brought tissue from a different part of your body. Yep. All right. Yeah. Wonderful. And now you're, you're, you're go with it. You're like, this is where I'm at with it. This is where I'm at. This is, this is good. This is good. And you said something earlier. You said you mentioned the divine masculine. And so that has me imagine that for you, there's a divine feminine that you speak of that you found within yourself. May I ask you about that? Um, is it off limits? It's cool. I mean, it's, um, it's just, no, I think I, that it, goes. <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. I would say that I am, uh, would be on the path of divine femininity, but I, I would not say that I'm there, there yet. May I ask what it represents for you? I think just being completely one with your feminism all around from your energy, your emotions, your feelings. I think it's just owning completely your whole package of being a woman. I think being a female and being connected with your emotions is more of our everyday. Yes. I perhaps am not the most emotional female out there. It's just connecting more with your, with your full self, higher self, and understanding and being like... Yeah, like living in your womanhood fully. Strength doesn't equal no emotion. Strength doesn't equal I can do everything. Strength doesn't equal having control of everything. Strength just equals being comfortable with who you are and having your own personal self-esteem and comfortable with who you are, loving yourself, happy with yourself. And if you're not, strength is pushing yourself and working with yourself to get to those places to where you can, you know, be living your living your truth and being connected to your to your higher self. Yeah, agreed. Strength is not forcing my way through something. Strength exactly. is having the power to acknowledge that I did not respond, let's say, in a in an interaction with somebody the way I wish I would have. I responded how I responded. Yeah, strength is knowing that um, I need help and asking for it. Yeah, and, and my not doing what I wish I had done, you know, strength is is not letting the part of the mind that wants to tell me, oh, you are weak there, you are pitiful there, you should be ashamed of yourself. It's like, no, it's part of what makes me, me. I uh, tell my son how, like, you know, there's fight, flight, or freeze. There's sometimes that I freeze. Like, when, when he and I go fishing, he'd hook a fish, and I start raising my voice about him doing one thing or another. Finally, one day I sat down with him, one day I said, look, kiddo, you probably don't like when I start raising my voice and you hook a fish. He's like, no, I don't. I said, I want you to know that. I explained fight, flight, or freeze to him. I said, there are times that I freeze. And how that shows up is that you hook a fish. I panic. I can't say what I want to say. So I yell. Like that somehow makes my communication more effective. He was holding his fish. And I want to take a picture of it with the sun shining on him. And we're on the boat. So I said, hey, kiddo. What I wanted to say was, will you please walk over there and turn your body so the sun is shining on you? What I said was, what are you doing? And he looks at me and he, I can't remember what he said to me, but what it meant was, Papa is freezing up and can't talk right now. <laughs> <laughs>
And and I used to be so ashamed of the part of myself that froze because sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes Shayla, I am your, I'm the best thing you could have. Like I will fight for you and with you and I will not stop. There are some times that I freeze. So like I used to judge the child in myself that froze when I was a kid in some bad situations. I'd carry those memories and that shame. And I look back now, I'm like, I'll hug that little guy. The I inner say, child. You were six years old. You were yeah. 11 years old. What did you, you had no idea how to deal with this. You didn't have the bandwidth to navigate this, to of manage course. this. Yeah. So you froze. And now as a grown man, I'm like, wow. And sometimes I still do. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that's a part of myself I shouldn't love. Because yeah. it's who I am. It's what made me who I am. And that was a huge hurdle for me in this masculine world of like, you have to be strong and always fight and never give up. I'm like, you want to know what? My name is Bert Scholl. Sometimes I'm your best advocate and I'll fight with you. Sometimes I'm going to freeze and I'm not going to help you out and yeah. I'll deal with that. But that's me. And it's, it's, it's freed me up so much in my life. That sounds absolutely beautiful. And it's what you were talking about. Just being you and loving you. Yeah. This is who I am. I'm Shayla. I got I'm one Shayla. fake boob. Nice to meet you. <laughs> There's a lot more to me than that. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of layers, but here I am. This is me. I'm oh. very, very happy with me and where I've grown and where I am. Yeah. Shayla loves Shayla. I'd say that with all the pieces and the journey and the cancer as well. Amen. And so now you're post-treatment. Yep. And what does uh, the future look for you as far as scans and tests? So I am on a Lupron shot that I go to get every three months. So I am on a hormone-controlling drug. So my body, although I'm 42, my body is in menopause. And I take a pill every day that goes in conjunction with this shot. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm at Sloan every couple of months. I'm at Sloan Kettering in the breast cancer center over on 66. And in second, well, yeah, I'll be on this pill-shot combo for... Nine more years. Oh, no, eight more years. Look at that. Hmm? Yeah, I'll be on this for eight more years. And yeah, my body's in menopause and that's, that's it. So I'm just, as um, I do I still have one breast, so I have to get a mammogram every year. Um, but really the, fo- the focus is that shot, the shot and the pill to suppress my, my ovaries and, and estrogen. And how often did you say you got it now? Uh, the shot is every three months. The pill is every day. Pill is every day. Yep. I don't know the name of the pill. I never even bothered to learn. I know it starts with an A, and I know that Capsule delivers it to me every 30 days. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, in yeah. my first diagnosis and treatment, I was on top of everything. And I needed to be because the doctors I worked with, well, my surgeon was good. But what I found was like when I didn't advocate for myself, my oncologist would step over things. Oh, wow. I wasn't that impressed. When I went to Memorial, I started asking questions. I see Dr. Kemeny, I think he's on 52nd Street, and uh, between 3rd and Lexington, yeah. <laughs> I always try to remember, because whenever I go there, I'm like, what street is it, 53rd, 52nd? I always mess it up. But anyway, uh, what was I saying? Um, Oh, the oncology and advocating for yourself. Yes, I. Um, Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just. Uh, I mean, I'm. I'm on. This, I. The, the, I. The, the appointments are set, 
the pill comes every 30 months, 30 just do days. It, right? Yeah, I just, I just do it. Like, it's, there's no. That's what I was going to say. The first time I was on everything and having to be real mindful, when I got to Memorial, I was like, okay, my doctor's not missing a beat. I get to kick back and chill and whatever she says do. I may ask just for some clarification, but yes. I'm doing it because she's not messing this up. Like, I'm, I'm in good hands. Yes, exactly. And it just isn't. I mean, I know everything I, I I have to do, and I know the dates, and yeah, I, you know, there's pre-planned appointments. I mean, on my calendar now is an appointment with an oncologist, an appointment with breast cancer surgeon, in in March. Like I I know these things, and there'll never be a time, at least for the next ten years, that there's not a Sloan Kettering appointment on my calendar. Like mm-hmm. that's just my my norm. At the, at this point. Yeah, me too. I'm going to be 10 years out next year, you know, should I be so fortunate? And uh, I don't know. I wonder if, like, I know for some diagnoses, it's like, okay, like, adios, you know? Yeah. You know, I, and then a part of me, like, wants that. And the other part of me is like, no, like, what if something happens? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I will always have to go at least for certain follow-ups. But, yes, exactly. at least at least I can get off this the shot and the, I think the pill, I mean, that puts me at, at 48 years old. So still a, a little bit of a ways away. I just don't even really think about it. Yeah, I don't yeah. even think about 10 years out or eight years out. Like, yeah, I don't know what that would provide. Like, what's the point? Right yeah, now, there's no point. Yeah, the I'm next just, appointment, that's it. Yeah, so my next appointment. Um, and like we just said, you know, present in the moment. Like, this is, this is where I am now. I'm happy where I am now. Everything is, I got the reconstruction. Everything is uh, on the up and up, I guess you would say. Um, You know, yeah. Well, Shale, it's been a real treat having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I love, yeah, these conversations are, are healing. Yeah. Yeah, I feel really fortunate to be hosting the podcast. You know, it's a massive amount of work. But I love it in part because I get to share these conversations with all the listeners and have them, you know, tune into something that, you know, even for us as survivors sitting in the lobby or in Mm -hmm. in the shuttle or whatever, getting treatment, we don't get to talk like this. Exactly. And people don't get to hear these conversations, you know, and there's so much in hearing two survivors talk about what they've been through. I agree. What they're going through. Yeah. And I'm super grateful for you giving me all your time to do this and all the back and forth and setting it up. (laughs) (laughs) We made it happen. We made it happen. We did. We did. So thank you so much. And you have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. If you'd like to support But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast to ensure we continue to provide the best quality episodes to our listeners around the world, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. See you all in the next episode, and thank you so much for listening. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of Saint Kid. You can find him on social media as The Saint Kid. 
The purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis. The host and guests are not medical professionals, and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy. Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.